Good morning and welcome to this week's edition of Over the Bar with myself, Sean Holland. And of course, where else to start but with the drama of yesterday's World Cup quarterfinals. And tournament favourites Brazil crashed out on penalties to Croatia. And after Neymar had put them in front in extra time, Bruno Petkovic equalised for the Croatians with three minutes remaining. And then Croatia secured their path into the final four when centre-back Marquinhos, his penalty, came back off the post. Their South American neighbours, then Argentina, made hard work of their semi-final, conceding two late goals to the Dutch side who fought to the bitter end. In what was a very feisty affair that included 16 yellow cards, the game finished 2-2. Argentina were in full control until the Dutch decided to go Route 1, and former Burnley flop 6'6 giant Wout Wakehurst headed in first on the 83rd minute, and then in the 10th minute of extra time he slotted home the equaliser after a very neat free kick move. However, it was the Argentinian side who progressed 4-2 on spot kicks. That brings us nicely to today's iconic World Cup moments and that number four. Some fonder memories really for some Brazilian supporters. In 1970, Brazil were looking to win their third World Cup in four attempts. Their team included iconic names like Pele, Jarzinho, Revelino, and of course their captain Carlos Alberto. And it's his goal, the final one of a 4-1 victory, which is number four on our list of all-time iconic moments. Erzino, faced by Facchetti. Oh, it's not a bad ball for Pelle on the right side. It's Carlos Alberto. And what a great goal that was! <laughs> Carlos Alberto! A truly iconic World Cup moment, and it sealed the victory and Pelle's third World Cup and sealed their legacy as one of the greatest teams of all time. Next at number three, we come to 2006 and the World Cup final between France and Italy. The game was level at one all in extra time after goals from Zinedine Zidane and Marco Materazzi. And it was an incident involving the aforementioned that will forever go down in infamy. Five minutes into the second half of extra time, the game came to a stop. Materazzi was on the ground. Italian players and officials were outraged. Nobody knew what happened until we saw the replay and the rest is history. There's a, a push and a shove there on the Italian coach, or by the Italian coach. And the referee has gone across now and he's had in his pocket. He's, he's been told about it. It's off, it's red, it's Zidane. The assistant referee, whether the fourth official saw something because of the delay, Dominic is sarcastically applauding. You can't argue with that. The referee, belatedly, the man who sent off Wayne Rooney, is about to send off Zinedine Zidane. In terms of the decision, as long as they've seen it, it is impossible to argue against it. This is the incident. Matarazzi had an arm round Zidane there. Then they looked at each other. Why did this go on so long? Well, I think words were obviously said, weren't they? Obviously, Matarazzi said something. There it is. Oh, you can't excuse that. Of course, Zidane was sent off and France went on to lose on penalties. There will forever be that photo of him walking by the World Cup trophy, heading on his way to the dressing room, his international career ending in disgrace. It truly was an iconic World Cup moment. 
So now that leaves us with only two moments left of our countdown for iconic World Cup moments. Join me next week to find out the final two. Now on to today's guest, and it's a man by the name of John Hanbury. John, a former Galway hurler who won the All-Ireland in 2017 with the Tribesmen. John has retired since and working in Amsterdam. So I sat down with him to talk hurling, life after inter-county retirement, and a new sporting hobby he's recently taken up. Right now I'm delighted to be joined by former Galway senior hurler John Hanbury. John is living over in Amsterdam now at the moment. John, very uh, very good to have you on. Uh, how are things over there? Yeah, good, John. Uh, thanks for having me on. And uh, yeah, all is good over here. Nothing, uh, nothing too strange at the moment. So it's cold, it's cold, so nothing new. Yeah, kind of like here anyway, boy. So um, I'll, I'll get straight <laughs> straight into things anyway, John. And growing up uh, the west side of Galway, what were the interests for you as a young fella? Uh, nothing, nothing out of the ordinary. I think mainly uh, coming from the west side of the city, as you said, uh, you know, a lot of sports. I think um, the interesting thing was that there was just a mix of everything. You know, there was there was a few dominant ones you could say, like uh, when I growing up, soccer and uh, probably Gaelic football and rugby were the big three, and and I suppose you could say hurling was a was a close one there as well. So you had four main sports that you were playing in school and doing the clubs at the weekend. So predominantly probably playing those really were, were the were the main haunts mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and um when did ga kind of take over for you in terms of i know you were a dual underage um was there a certain age where you said you had to kind of leave the other two behind and just concentrate on the hurling and football uh yeah for me rugby was never i was never really uh being in the rugby played a bit in school now but uh I went to to Clostaine uh, there in Salt Hill, which uh, was kind of starting up as a rugby thing at the time. So there, uh, you, had, you had the big schools in Galway, like the Bish and the Jez, and uh, uh, they were the big kind of schools. So we, we were predominantly in the GA anyways. And then I suppose the soccer it kind of ended. Uh, I suppose you could say I was lucky enough to, to go to, to primary school with the Horgan brothers from, from Galway. So they kind of carried our soccer career for as long as they could. And uh, they went on to, to, to the League of Ireland and, and further with Daryl, you know, so then mm-hmm. we... You know, we were left with the GA, and I think that was probably around maybe, you know, fourteen, fifteen. I think right when the, right when the underage hurling starts to get a bit more serious and stuff like that, I started to to focus on that. But um, it was always still a, you know, I think the football and hurling really took over at around that age. You either decided you were going to soccer or you were playing rugby or you were playing GA. Really, those were kind of the three, three paths you were set on, or at least I was anyway. Yeah, yeah, and you know, it was very successful for you, and starting pretty much off with your minor All Ireland win in two thousand eleven. So, just going straight to straight to the cut, straight to the final. What were the ex- what was the experience like in playing in Crow Park, and w- were you nervous going out there in such um you know such a big occasion? Yeah, I think uh, I think every every minor player that gets to that semi final and you get your first time in Crow Park, you, you're you're nervous about you know. Uh, playing in front of a, a crowd like that, an atmosphere like that, you know, you're normally, I think for us, we had Clare, uh, you know, an unbelievable Clare team in the semi-final at that age, you know, they had Tony Kelly, Galvin, they had Shane O'Donnell, they had everyone, you know, mm-hmm. and, um, you know, that, that atmosphere that day was, was, was a real kind of like uh, eye-opener for you, for, for me anyways, as a young, you know, as a young lad, but I think it was 18 at the time or 17, you quickly realise, you know, that, once you're out on the pitch, it's actually not too bad. It's still a game of hurling, right? It's, you know, there's the same rules, the same same principles apply, but uh, which made the final a little bit easier. I still think that the day of an All-Ireland, the crowds, the, the chaos of it kind of 
is something you get you have to get used to. But um, it it definitely was a was a really interesting experience. I think the nerves and, and how you process that is something you learn as a. I think every intercounty or mine underage, minor under twenty one, you start to learn those things. So uh, as I said, when you win, it's great, right? So we won. That was probably the main thing. And uh, yeah, it was something you don't. I still remember a lot of the the sort of little details from that day, which is which is nice to have. Mm-hmm. No, it was a fantastic um, experience for a young fella. And then, kind of like still sticking with the underage stuff, John, you were a dual um, under 21 uh, there as well, or dual minor under 21 with the football and the hurling. Um, do you think you can do it nowadays? Would the toll on the body be too much? And is, has it the game developed in the last 10 years, you know, in your opinion, that a fella would struggle to play both? Uh, I think it's. I think people will some try it. I think it's it's probably it would take professional levels of like management of your body of of managers and stuff. So I, I think it'd be extremely difficult to do. Um, I remember you know when I was coming up to that age, I remember like for example, um, was it Aiden Walsh for Cork did it? I think mm-hmm. as a twenty one player, and I thought yeah. that was I still can't understand you know the the toll because I I only did it for for one winter and I, it was a it was something I, I would probably never do again, just in terms of like, I wasn't probably at, at that age, you know, smart enough to manage my body. I was in college, you know, and a lot of it was sort of like, you know, as a young player wanting to please everyone and not, didn't have the, the sort of learning to be like, right, listen, you're not made of steel. You, you know, things will break down. Mm-hmm. And uh, luckily enough, I think a lot of young players get access to a lot of like really, really smart people in that area. Like in the area of like, phys- not just physical fitness, dietitians and, and, and uh, and all of those professions. And I think while they, it might seem more doable, I'm just not sure. I mean, there's a reason professional players don't train as much as, let's say, like what that player would have to do. So mm-hmm. I would find it to be, I would say it'd be an incredible feat if someone does it, but I would say that they won't be doing it consistently, if that makes sense. They might yeah. do it for a year. And I think if you ask them, then at the end of their career, they'd be like, Jesus, what a mistake that was, you know? But <laughs> you never know. Like there's there's the con, uh, conic Allens and these guys, you know, the, the, the physical... Uh, both physical and talent-wise, you know, there's always going to be those one or two guys that are just special. So you never know. Yeah, yeah, no, it, it's it's something that's kind of debated a lot, but you you can see how guys um how it takes a toll on their body, and you just can't do it anymore. But but moving on from that, then John um and getting a call up into the Galway senior squad. Um, what's the process in Galway in getting called up, and and how did it happen for you? Um, for me, uh, I think at the time. Anthony Cunningham was over the team, and uh, I think as well that year he they, there was a there was kind of a new structure on Galway brought in where they they were both they had a role in the twenty one panel as well where they had like a joint venture I think with there was a Johnny Kelly was the manager of twenty one team but there was a close uh, uh, working relationship between those two groups of managers you know so it was almost as if like we were in with twenty ones for a lot of the year the year before. And then uh, I suppose a lot of us who were on that under-21 team were brought in for trials that next winter. Um, yeah, and it just started from there. I think that was 2014, if, uh, if I can remember. And just, uh, I was just excited to get in there, really. You know, the, mm-hmm. there was a lot of guys in there that were my heroes when I was growing up, you know, no more so than uh, Damien Hayes and all, and all these guys were still playing, you know, and uh, David Collins's and, you know, and... Uh, and the Tony Oaks and I just remember being like, you know, excited to get in there and, and, and curious really like, it's like, what's the standard going to be? Like, what's the training going to be like? You know, is it going to be a massive gulf in, in, in standard? And uh, you, you quickly realize, yes, there is, right? There's a reason those guys were, were legends and you had to kind of quickly figure out how to, 
how to get up to that level. Yeah, and then the, those first days on the pitch then in terms of the matches, um, was it kind of like a baptism of, uh, of fire, so to say? Um, did you find going out onto the pitches, say, for the National League, say, for your first game, did you find the, the golfing class was was apparent straight away? Yeah, I think I think again it goes back to just like you come in with the nerves because you don't it's the unknown and then as the game goes along it starts to get a little bit familiar. You know, you can be unlucky, you can be lucky, but uh, a lot of it just comes with you get that first game under your belt and you you have the experience and I think especially in the backs too you kind of learn by making mistakes as well if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like you know, I think some of the best backs I've seen play they'll always they're always very good at learning from from a mistake and never being caught for the same mistake twice and um yeah, I just thought after, you know when you play those league games, they kind of give you that confidence that you know when you go into those more important summer games, you have a bit you have a bit of uh, a reference point almost. But uh, even still, there's a big gulf in, in the intensity of a of a championship game in 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 May June versus you know a match in the rain in Pierce Stadium uh, on a, Jan- a January uh, Sunday morning. So it's, mm-hmm. it, there's a difference in each one, but they're each is like its own level. You know, you come in you. You adjust to it. You figure out what the standard is, as you say, and then you you try and learn and adapt to it. Mm-hmm, of course, and learning on the fly is probably the main part of it. And before we get yeah. into your season, two thousand seventeen, um, you had the experience over in Boston with the Fenway Classic. So, what was that like um, as an experience? It's something that not a lot of GA players have have got a chance to do. So, can you talk us through a bit about that? Yeah, it was uh, it was an it was an interesting one, as I said, because you're trying to you're trying to really showcase the game abroad and. I suppose the one thing that the, the, the guys organized and had to had to deal with was figuring out a way to showcase the game, the skills and whatnot, and without the main main uh, venue, which is a full size pitch, right? So mm-hmm. the Super Eight or or I can't remember what the name of the, the the of the format was, but the kind of eight aside or ten aside or whatever it was 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 the best available option. And then you know there was a rule set to it, and it was developed, and you had to be sort of. Uh, trained up in it so we did a little bit of training for that and then going over there it's just a it's just a great experience right i think uh especially when you go to boston like you have the you have the sort of irish uh heritage there and it's it's you know people are interested in sport and you know and i suppose being a fan of american sports playing in fenway park is just a it's one that when you speak to american people they kind of their jaws drop because it's kind of sick it's their crow park in a way you know for for baseball and and here we were, a bunch of lads from Ireland, not really understanding where we were, or, or very few of us understanding. So, it's I suppose it's a memory that you can kind of say that's a pretty cool little memory to have in your pocket. And uh, mm-hmm. as I said, there was a great atmosphere for for a stadium that is only something like thirty something thousand. It's quite a small stadium in regards to like, you know, Crow Park or, or big American or European stadiums. It's quite small, but it, it packs a really, I suppose, a really nice atmosphere to it. You know, I don't know how it works or or whatever, but. It was a really, it was a memorable evening because I think the American sports fans as well kind of, they love the physicality of the game too, and it kind of helped mm-hmm. the atmosphere, I suppose. So it, it was a, it was a really, uh, really fun experience. Yeah, I imagine so. And, and was it treated almost like, um, did you? Was there more of a kind of um, a team bonding vibe to it? You know, would you have gone out after the the games and bits and pieces like that, or or what was the kind of setup like over? Yeah, there? like there's norm. Yeah, there's normally a bit of a <clears throat> even between the two teams. You know, I remember like it was a pretty physical game. There was a bit of <laughs> was. Uh, there was a bit of a yeah, but I think all of that is just not. I think that is also just lads when they get out on the pitch you know they're they're used to that a certain intensity and then mm-hmm. it's a bit of a blow and I remember afterwards both teams were in the same uh, at the same function afterwards sharing a few pints and stories and a laugh you know there was never any sort of uh, malice or anything you know it's kind of one of those things and, and in a way it kind of 
it was just one of those things in a match that happens and, and you move on and, and a bit of crack has that evening and everybody moves on with their life. You know, I think it was more the, the outrage back home. I remember people were kind of complained about it and we were kind of going, you know, yeah, it's just a match. You know? exactly. It happens in every it happens in every pitch a few shoulders and everyone moves on. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, as I said it was just an enjoyable kind of uh, event. You got to see the city and whatnot after and a few days after a few of us nice. managed to see a Patriots game and you oh, know you have those little things. So yeah, it's it's a it's a fun it's a fun thing to do. You know, I know it's in November, but uh, you don't usually get to to go and do those things right on an inter county sort of lifestyle. So it's one of those escapes you get. You yeah. kind of take it with both hands. Yeah, yeah, no, it is a fantastic um, setup it was anyway. But moving on then back home and the 2017 season, John. Um, going into the season, did you see yourselves as All Ireland champions, or what was the kind of thinking starting off training at the start of the year? Do you think we have a chance here? Uh, I, I think, uh, I think every team that you know has a, has those aspirations going in. I think we were the same as every other team in the sense that. You know, we we had a we had a really really uh, strong belief in the team that we could do it. You know, we had gotten very close the year before, um, and the you know the last two years before that, you lose a final, you lose a semi final to the winners of the final. You know, the, so there was a belief there, and it was mainly you know uh, mainly the thing of getting down, do the work, and 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 work out the fine you know the the few the few tweaks, you know, try and make those a few improvements, but. Uh, I wouldn't say anyone, you know, it was kind of just, again, No, I don't think anyone really takes it in those kind of grand steps. Everyone, you know, especially when you go to those trainings, you're taking it day by day, session by session, and you try not to look too far ahead, right? Like mm-hmm. you're in November, you're not looking at next September. You're kind of more focused on the, tr- the next training, the next week, you know, the next session or whatever. So uh, you tend not to, to look too far ahead in those days. Mm-hmm. No, it, it turned out to be a brilliant season for you. And I suppose going forward to the semi-final against Tip, that probably was one of the games of the year, probably was the game of the year. And um, what was it like being the cornerback position there, knowing that one mistake and uh, the season could be over? Yeah, well, it's, it's, I suppose it's it's there every game. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Those games, you're marking, so when you're marking the players, you're marking. Um, you, just have to, you just have to try and do your best. I think, yeah, those games are, are fun, really fun to play because they are just a bit, you know, in a world where hurling got very structured very quickly, it was still like a, a throwback to those games where it is just, you know, uh, you know, a, a break of a ball can decide a team's a team's year, right? So mm-hmm. those games are great for the fans, they're great for the players, you know, you enjoy playing them. As I said, you know, the game in fifteen was a crazy game. The game in sixteen was, was sort of I suppose the lesser of the lesser known of the three, but was also a great sort of in, intense game. And seventeen was kind of the same. So I look back on all three and Okay, we won two of the three, but you know all three games are really entertaining. They were fun to play, you know, because you were just a lot of them were you know a lot of one-to-one battles, you and your man versus each other, rather than mm-hmm. uh, systems and, and styles of play. So they were they were fun to play. Yeah, and uh, going into the final then against Waterford, um, something probably you know you always trying to get the monkey off the back with the twenty-nine years, and um, did you feel any bit of a burden going in, knowing that you'd come so close? The couple of years previous, yeah, I think I think you just you kind of approach finals with the with the the concept of you just want to get to the game, right? Because there's so much really nice things that happen, but as a player, you can't really enjoy them mm-hmm. in a way because they're while they are great things like the functions in your local area, you know, the 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 build up, the the hype, and everything. As a player, you just can't uh, you you can't get involved in it, right? It takes you out of the the task at hand, and, and uh, 
I think for the finals, yeah, there, there's a lot of build-up, but usually nowadays players are fairly well isolated, you know, uh, away from it. And, and it's it's really uh, something the fans can enjoy and, and the community and the county uh, can enjoy. So for players, you're really just, you're, you're, you're just, I suppose you're anxiously waiting to throw in and just getting it over it, right? Um, you want to play the game and, and, and try and achieve your goal. And, and it's just those couple of weeks usually feel like the longest weeks of the year. So mm. when you finally get to go out and play, you're not really, you know, thinking about the parade or or, or the, the, the pre-match stuff. You're just thinking, I just want to play this game. I just want to get this get this game underway and get into it, you know? So when it comes, it's a relief and you just play the, you just play the game and it's... it's um, yeah, there's a bit of a relief with it, I suppose you could say. Mm-hmm. And once he got to the final whistle and had the cup, what were the the celebrations like in the weeks after that? I presume it was um, it was a great relief to you all, and you you probably massive crack back up in Galway. Oh yeah, it was like I think nearly every team that wins the Ireland, yeah, it's it's uh, even with teams yeah like ourselves and Limerick even the year after, right? The celebrations are are crazy, especially for those counties that don't win in the long period of time. Um, yeah, it was great. It was great fun, right? Like it was. It's the usual. It's 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 a lot of uh, a lot of you know going out, just even relaxing as a team, right? Because all the training is done, you can cut loose and, and you can have a have a few pints and relax, and and uh, you still have to do your your sides of trucks. And the, those days still aren't gone, right? You still have to go and visit schools and stuff. So it's it's pretty hectic. Uh, it's pretty hectic few weeks, but at the end of the day, it's it's you're kind of in dreamland at that stage, right? Like you're kind of. The realization doesn't set in. None of that sets in. So you just you just try to to enjoy it. You try to remember the moments and uh, and you, you you do the best you can, right? Because it's a it it's a short winter in that sense. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, all of a sudden you're back into January again and and you're talking out in in in, uh, in a league game and you're wondering where the where it went. You know, so exactly, yeah, yeah. And it's quick turnaround and and speak about that year then 2018 you kind of dealt with a bit of an ankle injury didn't you for the full year and then how was that year in terms of you know for yourself personally what was it a tough year you know carrying a bit of an injury through a lot of championship games yeah I mean it, uh, for me it was kind of just um, yeah just just carrying a knock but I, I was lucky to have the physios there to, to really help me and uh, you know it was just one of these things that did just uh, be it lack of strength in my ankles or whatever you know I probably needed to do a bit more work on it and just kept aggravating it it's one of those annoying things but I think a lot of players these days go through those things you know the unseen injuries that they, they don't declare and then I know um, you know through the years you, a lot of players will just get on with these niggles and, and they you know a lot of players kind of suck it up and get on with it so it was just uh, yeah it was, a, it was a hectic year I mean it was the first year if I remember it was the first year of like the 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 group stage format, if I remember correctly, and there was a lot more games. But for us, it was quite enjoyable because you got home games. I remember we played, like, got to play Kilkenny in, in Galway in a championship game, which was great, you know. And um, there was a lot of positives, you know. We were still we were still going well in form, and uh, you know we had some we had some great battles. I remember the Clare semi final was a great game. The replays we had a Kilkenny replay in the Leinster final, so it was it was just a very long year for us. And um, and then in the final, yeah, just the the, uh, the better team on the day won, which was Limerick, right? They, mm-hmm. they came out with mega intensity, and uh, as you can see, it was the start of their sort of run, right? Like so, you know, that that was uh, even that day, even a break of a ball, but even still, you know, you could see that the Limerick team was there was a great Limerick team there, and that there would be those sort of great games that have come along now in the last few years were, were going to be recurring, you know? Mm-hmm. You could probably feel playing that day, did, did you ever kind of have it in your head that like, you know, these lads are legit and they could be here for another few years? That's it. Like, you you have that, like, 
you have that with a, a lot of teams, you know. Like, I mean, we, every every time we played Tip, there was sort of a, a the same thing with Kilkenny, with with all those great teams, like you know, the, the Clares, the Waterfords, you know, the, the list goes on. I think every team has that sort of, you know, what they are and you know what they're about. And even you know, we played Wexford in a in a in a Leinster final in 2018. You knew that team was coming because there was a lot of young guys, you know. Um, so yeah, with a lot of those teams, you can kind of see that oh, this is going to be a good team in the future. We're going to have to we're going to have to deal with on a on a regular basis. <laughs> yeah, I get you. And next year, then 2019 came around. And did you ever feel yourself going into it, John, that it was going to be your last year? Uh, a little bit. I, I think uh, for me personally, the work life stuff kind of got uh, a bit hectic. I I, I I suppose I was working in IT at the time. I was lucky to have a very uh, a very fair employer in terms of understanding what I, you know the the sport and what it took, and, and they were very fair to me in terms of allowing me time off. But I think it was just the the days are the days are tough, and um, I suppose once the the, the curtain of the All Ireland kind of came away, and there was a lot of you know I suppose indecision on my part about you know wanting to do the next thing in my career, and and uh, that sort of not you know it's it's very hard, right? You, you when you play hurling at that level. You have to make those sacrifices, both personal, career, family, you know, relationships. Uh, these are the unseen things, I suppose, that people don't see is that, you know, you have a support system behind you and your family and your and your partners and your and your friends that sort of you have to sort of cut, you know, they don't get the same amount of time as they should. Same mm-hmm. with career. Those things, you know, every intercounty player sort of puts those on the back burner to, to achieve a goal. And, and for me, I suppose the, the, the pull was there to sort of, you know, um, focus and, and, and look at some opportunities that were there for me to work and yeah so it was a struggle with it a little bit but mm. you know um, I think it was just having the, the group of guys there like you know you have to understand I suppose with those players you, you build a friendship over the years you don't want to leave that either so there's mm-hmm. a bit of turmoil but for me it was uh, it was just kind of the, the injuries and stuff weren't weren't the major thing it was more just uh, maybe wanting to wanting to do something new with my career and, and you see that with a lot of guys, right? Like you see uh, lads going away for a year to focus on careers mm-hmm. or, or, or taking a break. Uh, and I think that's going to become more common in the GEA because yeah. it's, it, it is both they're accelerating, right? You want to be, you, lads are very ambitious. They want to, you know, they want to concentrate in their career, but also want to, you know, achieve the best of the sport. And a lot of times those things, it's very rare that those things can, can coexist at the same yeah, time. So um, it's something I suppose that, the modern players are going to have to handle more and more. And, and uh, I think there's organizations there like the GPA and stuff that help with that. And they have some great resources there, but it's going to be tough because you're kind of, you're trying to to mentor these guys and stuff and, uh, at the GPA level. And I can see how they have, they have a, a tough job ahead in terms of that. Mm-hmm. No, it, it, I completely agree. And you probably had the added bonus then of having the All-Ireland medal in your back pocket, you know, knowing that if you walk away, you, you got to the top, like, and you won it, you know, so there was probably that, you know, comfort in your mind as well, I'd imagine. So that was probably a good thing. And and how are you finding life then outside of hurling at the moment, John? Do you find yourself you have a lot more time, you know, to do what you want? Yeah, in a way, yeah. I, I mean, uh, the truth of the matter is, is that I'd be fairly hypocritical and say I still play the the, the hurling of football here in Amsterdam <laughs> yeah. with the lads here. And, uh, you know, I don't think you ever fully escape it. But uh, I suppose for me, it's the... It's the change, or what I hope to get was the change in, in attitude towards it in a way, like to, to try and calm it down uh, uh, in the sense of like enjoy it a bit more. I remember mm-hmm. when I first came to Amsterdam last year, you know, we were in the middle of a pandemic. They had a lockdown here at the time where you couldn't go outside past 10 o'clock. So my first, my first month or so was kind of, you know, locked in the house, you know, 
uh, getting set up here and, and finding all that stuff and then you know going down and meeting the lads at the football you know it, it serves a real a real purpose the GA clubs here in Amsterdam you know in terms of helping people get set up you know if you see students coming in uh, or, or people moving into the city there's usually a message in the group you know for anything they need or you know lads asking questions and it serves a really nice purpose outside of the sport as well you know almost as a, a social club or something you know so uh, that's been nice to be a part of it and um and yeah, it's it is nice, and it takes away the. I suppose you do have more time, but you usually find things to fill that time, you know. So mm-hmm. other hobbies and whatnot usually take up. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. And, and one of the hobbies, anyway, you've taken up is um you've switched the pitch for the gridiron and the the, <laughs> the hurley for the the shoulder pads. Um, how are you finding uh, playing American football? Ah, uh, yeah. Look, I I, I think yeah, I should never mention it to, to Morris. All right, what I mentioned to him, but yeah, it's it's it was just something I I wanted to go down and try. Mm-hmm. I've been a big fan of it for a while, and basically, I I I, uh, I suppose it was a way for me to be honest to get to get integrated with some with some uh, some local people here in the city, you know, some, mm-hmm. uh, some Dutch people, and it's been it's been great for me because, as I said, it helps me it helps me integrate in terms of like learn the language. Like the lads will try and help you teach you a bit of Dutch when you're down there. Mm-hmm. You know, as I said, it, it was something I wanted to do. You know, and, and sort of get, I suppose, the easiest way to to assimilate to the culture is to get to know the people and stuff. You know, so I managed to sort of make a lot of friends. But but there was a few Irish guys down there to my surprise. But uh, you know, a lot of it was a lot of the local guys, and you get to get to know them and get to know local people in the city, and you pick up those things. So. I suppose the main reason for it was social and, and as I said it was mainly to go down and play stuff like flag and the non-contact stuff and it just kind of grew from there and uh, yeah. enjoyed playing it and, and still do but it's nothing um, nothing too serious in that regard just yeah. a, a bit of fun Yeah I can imagine and what's your position? I'm a, I'm a typical uh, I'm a tight I suppose a tight end really is the position I play at now I, I wouldn't have the, the full size for it so I, I know uh I'm sure as hell I know uh, Rob Gronkowski or anything like that. So, um, yeah, it's mainly just a receiver, basically. But, yeah, um, yeah no, I, I, won't be, uh, I won't be making any sort of uh, crazy plays anytime you, soon. You won't be going abroad any, anytime soon, the International Pathway Programme? No, I'll leave that to the talented, uh, talented people. Yeah, no, I've played it myself in UL, and um, yeah. just this one thing, it's like, um, how do you find the audibles? Because I know that was complicated enough to understand uh, over here. Did they, or do they um, use audibles in Dutch, or is there kind of um, something kind of like different in terms of their play calls? Um, is that hard to grasp? Uh, no, it's it's pretty okay. I mean, as one, the one thing about the Netherlands as well is it, it's, you know, the, the level of English is extremely high. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they they would be native speakers themselves in English, to be honest. And, uh, you know, we have a lot of, in Amsterdam, we have a lot of multinational uh, players as well, right? So, like, not everyone on the team outside of myself speaks fluent Dutch. So, English sort of becomes that sort of language. And uh, for us, you know, we were lucky to have um, a great offensive coordinator, Andy Dennehy, from from from, uh, from Dublin. So, he was he was calling the play. So, it was a little bit of a, a help. But uh, we were... We were um, we ran kind of a, a no huddle kind of system, so a lot of hand signals and stuff. Yeah, so they kind of take the language part out of it, which makes it easy. So yeah. the only thing is you have to go and learn the signals and yeah, stuff. Yeah, I know and it's tough. <laughs> it's a, yeah, it's a, but it's the fun side of it. it is. Me, you know, as it's I said, it's, it's uh, yeah. If you're a fan of the game, you, you kind of love that yeah. stuff. Uh, I know. I uh, I always uh, I always uh, go at Gael, James Gael about it the whole yeah. time because I you know he's, he's a big Pats fan and uh, I know he's sickened that I'm playing it. And he's not so. Uh, <laughs> It's always something I can hold over. Exactly. And do you have any team yourself? 
I'm a Giants fan, which makes that makes oh. makes uh, that relationship even that, worse because uh, yeah. <laughs> I get to hold those those two uh, Super Bowl rings yeah, over him now, but uh, I usually do get a few comments about Eli Manning versus Tom Brady to, <laughs> to try and balance it up. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I'll take the two and zero in the Super Bowls versus any sort of uh, overall record. Exactly, and I'd be uh, the same with you. I'd be a Chicago Bears fan, so I don't have much to uh, to debate with lads. Exactly, I, I'm normally at the the end of the stick in terms of that that um, that yeah. bit of crack, but. Um, yeah, yeah, look, look, John. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you, boy. Um, I wish you all the best with the American football and and the life over in Amsterdam. Yeah, thanks a million, Sean. Thanks for having me on. It was lovely to chat to you, and uh, yeah, all the best. On the TV, then this weekend, just a couple of the highlights: Portugal and Morocco uh, in the quarterfinal at three o'clock, and then the big one: England against France on at seven this evening. There's also rugby in the Champions Cup with Munster in action on Sunday against Toulouse. So that's it for me this weekend. I've been your host, Sean Holland. You're listening to Over the Bar on West Cork FM.